Welcome to World Policy on Air, a weekly podcast from the pages and website of World Policy Journal, published by the nonprofit World Policy Institute in New York. I'm David Alpern. In this week's program, posted May 12, 2017, we talk with Paris-based writer Cole Stangler about the French presidential election results and where the nation's left and right go from here. His article in the new WPJ Spring issue is headlined, The Left Restored is Mightier Than Le Pen. We'll also point out other top features in the new WPJ Spring issue, cover line, Fascism Rising. But first, this week's Winners and Losers report from Ian Bremer, president of Eurasia Group, Global Risk Consultants. Winners and losers, easy Comey, easy goey, James Comey, clearly a loser. He gets the OJ405 treatment in California. That's not good. Donald Trump thinks he's a winner, but ultimately when all this stuff leaks, he ends up being a loser, going to be much more constrained, can't work with the Dems. Democrats, losers, they're in the minority, they're completely incensed, they can't do anything. Russians, winners, not only did they get rid of Comey, but they're in the White House. How exciting for them, they got the only pictures. Democratic norms, as with everything, losers, the American people, ultimately are taking the burden. listening to World Policy on Air. Now this. Les Français ont choisi un nouveau président de la République et ont voté pour la continuité. De moraliser la vie publique. We will have to make public life more moral. We have to defend the vitality of our democracy. We have to strengthen our economy. We have to uh, build new forms of protection uh, for this world which surrounds us and to make sure that everybody has a place. France's far-right national front leader Marine Le Pen conceded her 34 to 66 percent defeat shortly after the presidential polls closed on Sunday, deriding it simply as a victory for, quote, continuity. Winner Emmanuel Macron, 39, an independent, moderate, former investment banker and Socialist Party finance minister, never before elected to office, saw it far more positively. He pledged himself to improve conditions for all those living in the land of liberté, equalité, fraternité, with concern for ecology and the oppressed as well. A cheering throng at the Louvre in Paris and many analysts had to agree. Macron's long-shot victory ended the threat of Le Pen taking France into a dark new anti-Muslim, anti-immigrant, anti-globalist pro-Putin era and taking a key country out of the European Union, likely all but destroying it in the process. It was also the third European election, after those in Austria and the Netherlands, in which a growing far-right tide was turned back in the end. But that tide has hardly dissipated. Le Pen's vote total was three times what the National Front won in previous national voting, and the economic and social problems that fueled it remain, dividing traditional French parties of the left and right on many specific issues except blocking Le Pen herself. To consider the challenges ahead for Macron and the French establishment, we're joined by Paris-based writer Cole Stangler. His article in the new spring issue of World Policy Journal is headlined, The Left Restored is Mightier Than Le Pen. And we spoke about it all for this podcast the day after France voted. Cole Stangler, welcome to World Policy on Air. Thanks so much for having me. Were you surprised by the final results in French voting? You know, I can't say I was surprised by the outcome of the second round of the election. Um, that did not surprise me. I will say, you know, Emmanuel Macron's rise and his qualification for the second round surprised lots of people. 
myself included. But as far as the actual vote, Le Pen versus Macron, I, I don't think um, it was terribly, terribly surprising the outcome. What impact, if any, did you see from the 11th hour dump of hacked documents from the Macron campaign and some vicious fabrications, just as French law prevented any media coverage or analysis of them? Did they attract much attention on the Internet, uh, cost Macron some votes? You know, this, this is really interesting. I, I think, I think um, honestly, I, th- I think it got more attention in the United States because of the, the experience with the U.S. election and, and the ongoing allegations about Russia's involvement. But in France, frankly, there, there really wasn't much attention. And, and I, I, it should be pointed out as well that, I mean, the main reason here is that the media actually has a, has a, a blackout in which they're not supposed to cover any political election-related news um, directly related to the campaign um, in, the, in the immediate hours before the election. So the news broke on Friday. Saturday is a, is a quote, day of reflection. And the votes on Sunday. So on Saturday, the media is not supposed to to be writing stories about the election, which made the timing of this awfully strange in that the media wasn't allowed to report on it. Um, and as far as the social media goes and and kind of um, more rumor based uh, circulation information goes, this is basically limited to kind of a fringe far right, um, you know, what we call in the U.S. the alt right what in France is called the fascosphere, the, the kind of shady parts of the internet that are, that are supportive of the national front and, and the far right. So it was getting attention there, but as far as mainstream society, um, did not get attention in the press, didn't have, didn't have a, a big um, impact in, as far as I can tell. Uh, your article in the WPJ Spring Issue contends that losing this year could actually put Le Pen in a better position for the next presidential election in 2022. Explain that. Yeah, so, you know, there, there's actually, I think, the, the, the day of uh, Le Pen's qualification for the second round and Macron's qualification for the second round. So two weeks ago, there was graffiti saying this, this slogan that people have kind of taken up, Le Pen 20, excuse me, Macron 2017 equals Le Pen 2022. And basically the argument here is that if you look at Emmanuel Macron's program, the kind of policies he wants to enact, which is a, it's a very classic neoliberal economic program. So this is, these, are, these are cuts to social spending. Um, he wants to lay off 120,000 public sector workers, state functionaries. He wants to reform France's labor code. He wants to pursue, um, you know, what he would call economically liberal uh, proposals. And I think that these are the same kinds of policies um, that have been fueling more people to vote for the National Front in increasing numbers. Um, the National Front has had a lot of success transforming itself from this very old school fascist sounding far right party into a more what we would call economically populist party precisely by railing against these sorts of um, these sorts of policies that, that Macron supports. So, for example, you know, cutting cutting state spending is, 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 a, is a good example, um, trying to reform the labor code to make it easier for businesses to lay off people and to negotiate agreements to their to their liking. These are things the National Front is opposed. These are things that um, have attracted increasing numbers of people to, to, to the National Front. And if you look at what, what, what's happened here, it's the National Front is, is drawing more and more working class people and low income people. And what I'm concerned about is if you look at Macron's policies, it seems like the people that are most apt to suffer from them are these, these, low, these low income voters, these working class voters that are, that are backing the National Front. What impact do you see uh, Macron's victory, Le Pen's loss, having on the far-right tide elsewhere in Europe, uh, on the future of the European Union, uh, globalization, and responses to terrorism? You know, I, I, think, I think the 
other far right parties in Europe really looked to France as as an example of, of a a place that they really thought they had a chance of of winning. And so in that respect, it's a disappointment for for these forces. Um, you know, but at at the same time, I think we need to be really careful about how we frame this election. Um, you know, Le Pen may have lost, but if you look at what happened here, we have basically 10 million voters in France that went ahead and um, in the second round, at least 10 million, more than 10 million voters who endorsed, voted for a candidate who stands for some pretty abhorrent far right politics. That's pretty concerning. So I think, you know, other countries, other parties are going to continue to, you know, point to the example of the National Front as a success story. That's how they're framing it already. And it shows that there's really a base for, for this kind of discourse that's both economically populist, that defends the safety net, but also directs anger towards immigrants, directs anger towards Muslims. And I think that the National Front is really increasingly legitimizing itself in France. And that's the real story here. I think I think we have to be careful about not framing this as, as a defeat for them so much as this is a legitimation of, of them as, as a really mainstream political force. And that's a, that's a very frightening, a very frightening thought. Along those lines, what do we know about the actual turnout, the number of those who could not bring themselves to vote for either of the non-traditional party candidates, and what that says about the popular support Macron will need going forward, given that he has no real party presence in politics or the government? Yeah, so you know, I, I saw people trying to compare the participation numbers in, in this election to the U.S., and it's, it's tempting to want to do that. Um, but in France, people participate generally much more in, in, in presidential elections. So the, the participation rate, the turnout rate, was around 75%. So 25% of people registered to vote did not show up. And actually for France, that's a record high. So it might be tempting to compare it to the U.S. I think, I think you should be careful about doing that. What's clear is that 25% of people, 12 million people who are registered to vote, didn't show up at the polls. That's, that's I think, the first point that needs to be made here. And that, that's an all-time record for the second round of, of the presidential election. The second point is, of the people who actually went and showed up to vote, you also had a record number of people who cast what are, what are known as blank ballots or spoiled ballots, uh, null, null ballots. These are people that went, went ahead anyways and, and, and voted, 12% of the population, of the, of the voting population, and cast ballots basically with, you know, it could be anything from scribbling, you know, gibberish on, on a ballot to writing in a, a, a person who's not running, to just leaving it an, an empty ballot, a blank ballot, not writing anything on, on, on the slip you dropped in the envelope. And this is a kind of form of, of protest. And so I think that, that's significant as well, that you had 12%, just sort of 12% of the population doing that. So I think you have to consider both the abstention and those, those null and blank ballots. And, and, and that shows that, that there's really a lot of, um, of, of frustration and, and disgust here. Um, I think that needs to be taken into consideration. To what degree do you see the traditional left and right parties supporting Macron's policies after uniting uh, to greater and lesser degrees uh, simply to block the national front as it has in the past, or as they have in the past? Yeah, I mean, this is a really good question, and I don't think anyone knows the answer at this stage because everything is, is evolving so quickly. But what was interesting, at least, you know, watching the results last night on, on TV, you had various spokespeople and representatives from, from each of the mainstream parties and a lot of them were, were, especially the socialists, were very supportive of Macron, calling for um, an alliance with Macron. So, I mean, just, just to, to, uh, to give some examples, on the right wing, you have basically these two kind of strands of thought. You have of the Republicans, as they're, as they're known as. You have the strand of thought saying we need to perhaps consider 
having a governing majority with Emmanuel Macron. That all depends on how many seats of parliament his party is able to to win in the elections coming up in June, the legislatives. Um, and you also have people on the Republican side saying, no way, we're going to we're going to maintain our political independence. Then conversely, on the left, on the socialist side, I think I think you're seeing this even even more. The, ex- the existential questions are there because of how poorly they perform this election, just getting six percent of the vote in the first round. Benoit Hamon, their candidate. You have more people on the socialist side saying we want to have a governing uh, majority with with Emmanuel Macron and a smaller fraction saying no way, which is basically the, the, the strand of people associated with, with Benoit Hamon. Hamon has said as much that he wants to maintain their independence. And you have a kind of middle branch, I think summed up by the Minister of Education who was on national television last night saying we want to maintain our independence but also be working with Macron. So these are all questions that, that are going to be resolved in the next, in the next few weeks, if not uh, the next few years. I think they're they're even more acute for the Socialist Party, which is really facing an existential crisis. Um, do they just decide to fully ally with Macron? Um, what does that mean for the future of the party? Does that mean they just disappear? So th- these are questions that I don't think anyone knows that the that could give you a full answer to, but they're going to be resolved in in, in the next uh, next short short period of time. Well, let's look backward a little bit. Talk about some of the specific issues that divided and stymied the traditional left parties in recent years: the communists, the socialists. Uh, Jean-Luc Mélenchon's left party and led so many to defect uh, first unemployment. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, un- unemployment is something that if we want to take the first example of the Socialist Party, um, you know, the Socialist Party, this is, this is, it's, not, it's really not unlike uh, the Democratic Party in, in 2008. And you think about um, Francois Hollande was elected in 2012 over then President Nicolas Sarkozy with a strong majority. He had a majority in the National Assembly and the Senate, and he had a government. He was elected president. Socialists were in control of government, and part of his platform was to, he promised to address unemployment, which is this kind of perpetual crisis looming over, looming over France. There's a, about 10% unemployment rate, and he promised to reverse, famously to reverse the unemployment rate. Um, he also promised to take on finance, very famously said on the campaign trail that um, that he's an enemy of finance. And these are, these are two promises that over the course of his term, his five year term, were utter, utter failures. Um, and Hollande ended his five year term. If you look at polls from last fall, he had an approval rating of four percent, which is really stunning for a head of state. Um, just just four percent of people approved. Um, of his of his term, so I think the socialist failure to really address unemployment is really basic economic concern, and beyond that, their um, support for a number of pro business policies, no- notably reforming the labor code, which is what Macron wants to do even further. I think drew a drew a deeper wedge between them and and working class voters. So I think the Socialist Party story is 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 so uh, significant because it, it it happened so quickly. If you look at just the shift of voters in 2012 to their numbers now, it's it's absolutely stunning the way that these their voters in 2012 basically abandoned the party. So the Socialist Party collapse, I think, is is a, happens over a much shorter period of time, um, and that's that's kind of the the main force on the left. If we want to go back even further, you had the Communist Party. Um, which was the long-standing force of the left in French politics um, for for you know following following the Second World War up until around the, even the 1970s, 
they were ahead of the socialists. The communist, the communist story is, is a little more complicated, but I think, you know, it's a more long-term story that has to do with their ties to the Soviet Union, their ties to support for official communism and how that became eventually grating on people. Um, their kind of unwillingness to step out of a view of a very, um, a very uh, cartoonish kind of view of the working class, white voters, manual, manual laborers, and not taking into account, you know, this new, new workforce of, of immigrants and women and, and service workers. The communist party, it's, it's, it happened a little before the socialists and, and it's, it's, you know, the communists are now a, a very um, marginal force in French politics. The left party, on the other hand, this is, this is a splinter party off the socialist party, Jean-Luc Mélenchon, 2017 presidential candidate, maybe talk a little bit more about him, but he founded the left party as a splinter party of the socialists. And the left party has had some success, but again, very small uh, party that only has a handful of, of people elected in, on the national, in the national assembly, um, don't have much of a, of a base. And, you know, I think what we're seeing right now was the real story of 2017 is the emergence of Jean-Luc Mélenchon's new movement, France Insoumise, um, you know, what, which I translate as, as rebellious France, which is, you know, this new movement that's defending these kind of left-wing ideas without necessarily referring to itself as, as quote-unquote the left and, and, and speaking in, um, you know, these kind of, these, these classic, using classic left-wing reference points and, 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 and vocabularies. But that, that's the real story here is, is you have this emergence of France Insoumise and it's going to be very interesting to see how they do in, in the upcoming legislative elections. Uh, Mélenchon is promising that they're going to have a majority that seems unlikely to say the least, but um, I think they're, they'll be emerging as a, as a really major force here in, in this recomposition of the, of the French political landscape. He held out from endorsing uh, Macron and actually surveyed his party to see uh, where they stood. What, what finally happened on that score? Yeah, I mean, so so Mélenchon and I, he was he was criticized pretty heavily for this, and I think with with some reason um, didn't give out um, an official recommendation. Um, what what his party did instead, what 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 Insoumise did instead, was they did a poll of um, not voters but um, more engaged campaigners, people that had actually signed up on their website, and basically they were given three three options. Um, to uh, endorse Macron, to abstain, or to do a blank or, or, or null, null ballot. Um, and ultimately, the third, the third option is what won out in the end. But again, this, this, you know, that, that poll was, was non-binding. And it really, I mean, frankly, it came across as a little disorganized and um, a little detached from, <laughs> from, from, from reality in that, um, you know, you had you had Mélenchon and, and, and his team really arguing against Le Pen and saying, you know, we don't want the National Front, but at the same time, you know, not being able to bring themselves to say vote for Macron. Um, so, you know, th- all, the, all that being said, if we look at the actual vote breakdown of what happened yesterday, um, more voters from Melen- people who voted for Mélenchon in the first round ended up voting for Macron than those for than those who supported Francois Fillon, the mainstream right wing candidate, did for Macron. Conversely, um, you know, excuse me, at the same time, uh, Fillon voters voted for Le Pen far more than Mélenchon voters. So I think we need to need, need to be careful about what about, you know, for, for instance, accusing accusing Mélenchon about, you know, of, of being somehow complicit in, 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 in Le Pen's uh, success. 
Um, so it's a little more nuanced, but at the same time, I, I think, um, you know, people were rightfully critical of the way that they, they, they rolled out the strategy, which, which came across as kind of disorganized and, and a little bungled, to be honest. Beyond the issue of unemployment, you cite the problem of inequality. Say more about that uh, in France and how it's affecting uh, the politics. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I, I should be clear from the beginning here that inequality in, in France is nowhere near or, or not, 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 not close to what it is in the United States, for example, or, or in the United Kingdom, which are two countries that kind of have really full-blown, um, you know, the, the Reaganite revolution in the United States and then Thatcherism in, in the UK, where you really saw kind of dismantling of, of the safety net. And I think in France, to a large degree, the, the, the continued existence of a safety net um, really limits, um, really, um, re- re- really has, 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 has aided um, France's efforts to combat inequality. At the same time, what we've seen in the last few years is a small increase in, in inequality. So if you look at the Gini index, for example, um, in France, it's gone up a few, a few points um, in the last few years. Um, and I think one of, the, one of the big issues here is, um, especially with France's obligations to the European Union, um, there are limits set into place on, on public spending and on, and on debt and then the, the deficit that, that the government can accumulate. And that's kind of creating pressure on governments to, to rein in social spending and to keep it, to keep it at, at a moderate level. And I think as we're seeing this unemployment crisis that's continuing to, that, that, that continues to exist without resolution, it's now been decades, um, you know, we're, we're seeing the safety net being, being, extent, being, being really pushed to its limit and I think is in, is in desperate need of renewal. And previous governments haven't done a good job of, of, of really filling that need. Of, of doing that, what we're seeing instead is, is, op- is directions in the op- is, is moves in the opposite direction. For example, trying to dismantle labor law. Um, for example, trying to cut social spending. Um, and I think this is this is part of Emmanuel Macron's program. He wants to to cut government spending, to rein it in. He talks about the safety net, about, about social spending being being too high. These are things that I think are really worrying if we're looking at. If we're looking at the long-term future of, of France's economic situation, if we're looking at the future of, of, of regular French people, working-class people, um, lower- to middle-income people, and these are these are these are you now complex questions that um, it'll be interesting to say the, to, to see the, say the least about how they'll be resolved in the next in the next few years. Talk about the Paris, not Paris divide. Yeah, so I think this is something that the, the National Front. I mean, if you if you look at you know. The way that the, the way the votes break down, this is something we've seen with Brexit as well. It's something we saw in 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 the United States with the way that Trump voters compared to non-Trump voters. But in France, in particular, um, you know, I think it was around ninety percent, according to the information that was available last night. Ninety percent of, of people within Paris voted uh, for Emmanuel Macron instead of Le Pen, um, which is way higher than 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 far far higher than the rest of the country. And there's also this kind of sense that FN has tapped into where, where Paris is really the, the center of, of France, seen as this kind of cosmopolitan city that's, that's you know, filled with, with immigrants, with Muslims in particular, um, where decisions are made of, of, of great import. Um, and they don't feel like those decisions, decisions are, are taking into account, you know, the, the quote unquote real, um, real France, the, the um, you know, deep France, as, as, as they say. 
And to some degree, you know, the way that France's government works is there's some there's some legitimacy in that and that France, you know, Paris more so even than London, I would say, or, or, or New York or D.C. is really the center of France in a you know, political, cultural and economic way that's, that's really hard to compare. Um, it's where all the government institutions are. It's where all the big businesses are. Um, and I think this kind of feeds into this, this national front discourse and the appeal of the far right, this idea that, you know, it's where the jobs are, it's where business is, um, it's where the cultural elites are. And I think this kind of feeds into this, um, this, this hostility um, and this, um, you know, this, 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 this idea that, that government and the elites are, um, are, are, are too far removed from, from the rest of French society. If there's a reason for hope on the left, you say, it's that the National Front may not have a long-term lock on the working class. What's the evidence on that? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think the evidence on that is you have to look at how the National Front has succeeded in recent years. Um, and it, it coincides precisely with, precisely with this economically populist shift, this idea of, of moving their discourse away from these traditional, the traditional language of the far right and the traditional... Um, you know, punching bags of the far right, which is which are, you know, immigrants and and and, and minorities. So they they really modernize and, and and I don't want to. I want to be clear. They continue to demonize immigrants and scapegoat immigrants. But what they've done in ad, in addition to doing that and in, in, in taming down some of the more extremist elements of the discourse is they've latched on to these to this economic populist discourse, and I think it coincides exactly with their spike in popularity. Um, and, you know, for, for, for example, as well, if you look at even even the uh, election results from from yesterday, you know, Le Pen, Le Pen won the the blue collar vote, which was the only kind of France divides it, the, the polling into four different social social groups. Le Pen did win the, the blue collar vote, the manual laborer vote, but she also lost the, the service, the more service sector vote, um, worker vote to to Macron. That was something that she'd been leading in the polls before, and Macron was able to to win that group of workers. So I think I think, you know, I, I think you know, and, and speaking to people in, in in France as well, and speaking to to elected officials and in some of these towns where the National Front has had success, um, you know, and I, I I think it's difficult to accept the idea that that basically, even everyone who voted in, in in France today, the idea that, you know, more than 10 million people are basically unreconstructed uh, racist. I think you know I, I think there's a a significant chunk of people who support the national front who, who, who no doubt, you know, have this, you know, traditional far right worldview, basically loathe immigrants, loathe, loathe Muslims, have some really heinous views, but I don't accept the idea that 10 million people who voted for the national front do that. And I think it's evidenced by just the way that the spike in support coincides with the, the shift of the national front towards, towards these new talking points. So you're suggesting that if progress is made on the economy, uh, the National Front will uh, lose some of that working class uh, blue collar support that, that it has gained in recent years. Yeah, I think I think absolutely. I mean, I think I should say as well, there's you know, there's been a number of studies that have pointed this out. But if, if you compare just on the map of, of unemployment in France to regions that vote more for the National Front, they, they, they coincide really, really dramatically. It's really, it's really striking. You know, the, the, this is the north of France, basically and the eastern parts of France, these, these, you know, for lack of a better word, the French, the French Rust Belt, these, you know, industrialized communities, mining was in the north, steel industry was very heavy in the east, lost a lot of those jobs, and those are precisely the parts of the, of the country where the National Front does well. There's a really strong correlation there. And, yeah, I think, I think you're right. If, 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 
if we see a, a kind of policy response that meets those voters' needs, I think it's only totally natural that you'll see a decline in, in the national front, the national front support. The shock of Brexit in England and Donald Trump's election in the U.S. Uh, have led many to a, a question of priorities, the problems of multiracial urban dwellers versus white workers in the hinterlands. You say that's misleading. Yeah, I think, you know, I think the media, the media has played this up as this, this big divide where, you know, you're supposed to, as, as politicians and as policy responses, you have to choose somehow between, between these two groups of people as if their interests are really opposed or diametrically opposed. When in fact, basically, you know, I think these are these are groups of people that that have the same basic interests at the end of the day, which is, you know, these are the majority of people in France, whether you are, you know, a first or second generation immigrant who's living in the northeastern suburbs of Paris or whether you're someone who is say, the son or daughter of a former steel worker. And, you know, in, in Alsace, I mean, what are the kind of policy responses that, that are going to benefit you? Um, it's raising the minimum wage, it's lowering the work week, it's making sure that, you know, one thing that, that, that was talked about in the most recent presidential campaign in particular um, was a universal basic income. Benoit Hamon on the Socialist Party talked about that. Um, you know, giving people, uh, you know, I think the way it, it was framed, in, in his case, it was around 700 euros a month, basically, of, of a check that goes out to, to, to basically anyone over, above a certain age. Um, I think these are all ideas that um, don't need to be viewed in this, um, you know, as if these are these are two separate groups of people. These are really policies that, that benefit both groups. Um, and I think those are the kind of policy responses we need to be keeping in mind. How do we how do we address the needs of, of working class people and regular people? Um, and I think the response is, is, is the same across the board. One of your answers uh, to these economic problems everywhere is stronger unions. Say more about that and how you reverse their decline over recent decades. Yeah, I mean, I think I think if we if if we look at unions as just a just a force for um, you know for for better redistributing wealth, um, I think absolutely unions you know strengthening unions and having stronger unions is is an is, a, is an important piece of the story. Um, if we, we look at the, the inequality problem that's, that's emerging in France, if we look at the growing poverty as well, I should, we should add that as well, not just inequality, but actual poverty. Um, if the, the really, you know, historically proven force for addressing poverty and inequality, the only really, you know, organizations that are, that are able to do that in a, in a really coherent way across the board are trade unions. Um, and in France, unfortunately, right now, that's, precisely the target of, of Emmanuel Macron, which is, again, why this situation is, is, is you know, I think pretty, pretty worrying in the long run. Um, you know, unions have the ability to negotiate large-scale agreements that are able to raise wages and working conditions. They have the ability, just by virtue of who they represent, to advocate for policies that make people work less and continue, and, and, but are also able to um, deliver and obtain concessions from employers. Um, I think historically they're the, they're the, they're the force that's able to to address to address these, these these major problems. And in France, you know, unions right now are, are on the decline, like in the United States. I think the 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 official, the official union density rate is actually lower in France than it in the than it is in the United States. Um, 
So they do have this bigger institutional role in France, which is the big difference. And, and again, unfortunately, that's exactly what Emmanuel Macron is trying to is trying to reform is to really weaken their ability to bargain um, on this on this national on this national scale. You also call for creation or recreation of an unapologetic left. What would that really entail beyond some of the policies we've just been discussing? Yeah, I mean, I think I think I think it entails exactly what exactly what, what, what we have been discussing, which is, you know, really advocating for these policies, but but in a really unabashed way. What, we, what we've seen too often from social Democrats in Europe and, and especially in France with the Socialist Party is, you know, trying to you know, say that they're, they, they believe in, in, in a safety net, saying they believe in, in, in socially redistributive policies, but not actually, not actually doing that at the end of the day. So, so speaking the discourse of the left, but actually implementing policies that are favorable towards business, towards big business in particular. Um, and I think the left needs to get away from, from, from you know, trying to do that, that game where you're, you're speaking the discourse of the left, but implementing policies of the right. What, what I'm advocating and what I advocate in the piece is really having political forces that advocate for these policies and take on big business and don't view employers as necessarily allies um, or, or really partners that are as worthy as, as the majority of the people in, in, who live in France and, 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 you know, as worthy partners as, as trade unions as well. Those are the kind of forces that, that are allies here. And if we're looking at, um, you know, if we're looking at, at, at building an effective left. Um, so, you know, and, and Macron, again, to come back to Macron, this is someone who, you know, is very friendly with the Employers Association. Um, he views the Employers Association as a, as a friend and as, a, as an ally, you know, towards building this, this progressive society he talks of. I think conversely, what needs to be done in France is, is you have a, you know, having political force that, that views trade unions, for example, as the, as the proper partner here, not the Employers Association. So really not being, not being afraid of, 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 of taking this discourse. And, you know, we're, we're seeing some signs of that with, with Jean-Luc Mélenchon's success. I think it speaks to, to, to people's real yearning for a force like this. And, you know, it should be pointed out again that, you know, young people in France voted for Mélenchon and, you know, preferred him over any other candidate in the first round. The 18 to 24 age bracket voted for Mélenchon. Um, and Mélenchon also was able to win some working class voters away from the National Front. So... You know, I think that that's a, that's a good example of, of if we're looking at you know what, what kind of force is, is 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 apt to take on France's political and social crisis. I think France Insoumise is, is an example of of a force that you know there, there's there's a lot of reason to be optimistic about about their success. Beyond policies and politics in our TV age, what does the youth, the the independence, the financial background of Macron tell you about what the majority of French people are looking for or willing to settle for? Uh, or is it really just uh, anybody but Le Pen at this moment? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, certainly uh, different people will, t will tell you different things. Um, the, the line that a lot of the um, kind of political establishment was repeating last night on, on national TV was the idea that Macron has a mandate here that, you know, people want wanted something new. They wanted someone who was young. You know, Macron's the youngest president in, in French history. He's only 39 years old. And sure, you know, I think there's no doubt, I think that that played a part in, in why he was elected. But again, if you, if you look at actual exit polling, it's pretty stunning. You know, 43% of people who voted for Macron said it was in opposition to Le Pen. That was the primary reason for voting for Macron, 43%, whereas only 16% of people said it was his actual program. Um, so, 
I think we need to be careful about about reading reading this election of Macron as somehow an endorsement of what he stands for and his ideas. Although I'm willing to concede, and I think it's fair to say probably a a, a chunk of that you know voters did that for those reasons. But when 43 percent of the people say who voted for Macron said they did so because they they opposed Le Pen, I think that that tells you all you need to know about about his mandate. Um, especially if you couple that with the level of abstention, the level of blank and null votes. Um, he, he really doesn't have a mandate. Um, you know, all that being said, it's encouraging that, that France, you know, picked someone like Macron who, you know, despite a lot of the, the criticisms of him, this is someone who ran a largely positive campaign, you know, in, in, a, in a, you know, as, 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 as much as you want to criticize, as we could criticize his, his so-called progressivism, it's someone who, who campaigned on a very positive idea as opposed to Le Pen who campaigned on this really, um, you know, frightening, um, you know, anti-immigrant negative campaign, not unlike Donald Trump. So in that sense, you know, it's reassuring. But but again, um, you know, I can't highlight it enough. Macron is in a really delicate situation here and, and um, I don't think has a has a clear mandate. Cole Stangler, thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Cole Stangler is a writer based in Paris. His article in the New Spring issue of World Policy Journal is headlined, The Left Restored is Mightier Than Le Pen. Since we spoke, Macron initially fell short of naming a full list of parliamentary candidates for his newly formed political party, La République en Marche, Republic on the Move. But in keeping with his message of change, half of those named were women, and more than half had never held a political post. Among them, the head of an elite police force who oversaw a response to the 2015 Bataclan terror attack and the sister of a Bataclan victim. Announcement of more candidates was expected within a week, perhaps from the moderate right that Macron hopes will help him form a ruling majority or a workable alliance. Selecting a moderate right prime minister would help as well. Favored in one new poll was International Monetary Fund Chief Christine Lagarde. Marine Le Pen, meanwhile, faced potential opposition from National Front loyalists to her announced plans for renaming the party and moving it still further away from its racist neo-Nazi roots towards economic and social issues appealing to blue-collar voters. Also featured in the new WPJ Spring issue, cover line, Fascism Rising, You'll find numerous views on how corruption of language and distortion of history contribute to dictatorship and how the process can best be fought. Also reports on the infrastructure of counterinsurgency, on the retro-macho politics that doomed Dilma Rousseff in Brazil, and on Ukraine, buffer or flashpoint between Russia and the West. And listen next week when our podcast will consider the threat of North Korea, responses from the Trump administration, the region, and beyond. World Policy on Air is a production of World Policy Journal at the nonprofit World Policy Institute in New York. Editor Christopher Shea, online news editor Laurel Jerombeck, podcast producer Anna Grace Carter. I'm David Alpern.